0: Please come on in, and have a seat, and we can get started this morning. We want to welcome everyone to our service here this morning. Thank you for being here, being part of our service today. Yesterday, we had a very great day at uh, our Super Saturday. We want to thank Brother Stephen Hodgen for all of the work that he put in, and thank to everyone that came and, and supported that effort yesterday. Uh, We had a lot of young people and a lot of uh, excited uh, adults that helped us to be able to do such a great day yesterday. Ended up with around 185 people total, so that was a very good day yesterday. Today we come to worship the Lord. We want to begin our time together in prayer. Our Father, thank you for all things that you do for us. Father, we're grateful for the many blessings that you give us each day. And we know that you are the source of all of the the good things that come in our life. We pray that you will be with us through this service. We pray for Brother Ken as he brings the message to us this morning. Help us to learn from the things that he will be speaking to us about. And help us to be the family of God in this community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Morning. First song this morning will be Blessed Assurance. around us. pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to come together and be assembled in thy presence. Lord, we pray that we'll continually look to thee to do those things that please thee and continue to carry out thy will. Lord, so thankful for the great success yesterday and the super Saturday. We're so thankful to be able to all work together in love and so thankful for all the things to be done for the children. Lord, we pray we'll continue to work together to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Lord, we're especially thankful for Brother Stephen, all the work and dedication and tirelessly he labored this week preparing for this, Lord. We're ever so thankful to have help such as him. Lord, we ask you to be with the many number of sick and afflicted. Lord, pray especially be with ones a cancer patients, ongoing treatments. Lord, pray for Sister Eaton and Brother Stutz. Lord, we pray for them and Pray, Lord, there'll be no more setbacks and pray that they'll continue to push forward and have a normal walk of life. Lord, we're ever so thankful to have <clears throat> great leadership here. We're thankful for our elders our deacons and ministers. Lord, we pray that we'll continue to be exhorted and exhort one another. Pray, Lord, we'll continue to work together and, and glorify thy kingdom. Lord, we ask thee to be with the, the many number of veterans, the ones that are protecting this country. Currently in the past, Lord, we especially pray for the many number of prisoners of war. Lord, we know there may be many from wars past that have been forgotten. Lord, we pray for them. Pray for peace and comfort to their family. Lord, we ask thee to be with us through this worship hour. Be with Brother Ken. We're ever so thankful to have him to labor here with us and continue to proclaim thy word in a, in a loving manner. Lord, we ask thee to forgive us of for our shortcomings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
2: Song of invitation after the lesson this morning. We come into me. Before our lesson, we will sing it as well. When we Scripture reading will be from Revelations chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Heard Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
3: Thanks, Ben. Good morning, everyone. We did have a fabulous day yesterday. And I know a lot of you were there, over 90 adults. Isn't that tremendous? And many of you, I'm sure, wanted to be there, but you had other things in the way. And I just want you to know, it it was the place to be yesterday. Can I just share with you just a little microcosm of the success that we had? For the very first time in my life, I taught 6th graders. It just so happens that the 6th grade is the top level for our Super Saturday Bible School. So these are going to be the graduates that we launch forth to begin their spiritual journey. I was so excited. I had Ethan Kendrick as my assistant and the sky was the limit. So at the conclusion of yesterday... Brother Stephen stood before everyone, and I know he just wanted to relish the moment. So he started with the sixth grade, and he asked them, what did you learn? What is one thing you learned today? And they thought, and they thought, and they thought. And I knew they were wrestling with it, because I had spent days in preparation of these great theological deep lessons to put upon these sixth graders to send them forth. And I know that they struggled to put it all together. They had to take a pass. And so Stephen then went systematically through the rest of the list. And finally, with all of that extra time to think about an appropriate response to what I had presented over the course of all of that time, Here's what they came up with. He taught us how to build a boat that floats. <laughs> so, launch forth. <laughs> but it was exciting, and it was, it was fun, and it's not just for the kids. The adults probably get more out of that than anybody. So, next year. Plan to be a part if you can. Uh, This text here is another one of those heavy texts. I know that the introduction to this book and its address to these churches had a reason. Churches were struggling and facing a lot of persecution. And what was wrong needed to be made right. And the things that were going well needed to be built up and encouraged. Unfortunately, there's such an emphasis on negative things, even in our own minds. I I could tell you one good thing, which ought to build us up, but a negative thing, especially a multiplicity of them, probably even makes us forget the good We're subjected to so much negative around us that maybe that's even... I don't know, our perspective anymore. Just negative. I don't want to be that way, do you? I want to be positive. I want to be a person that looks at things from a standpoint of hope. How things ought to be if they aren't that way right now. And then of course, to rejoice in what's going well and to be thrilled that God blesses us in the way that he does. And I have a hopeful, happy kind of personality. So when I looked at this text and I saw what was going on here, I wanted to be hopeful for all of us. And that's what I want to share with you today. Before we start that, though, Let's pray that God will bless us in our study of His Word. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the blessing of today, for the privilege it is to be able to assemble and to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray, Father, that you will bless our study today. Help us to embody the very best of what the church in Sardis had, Help us, help us, Lord, in our examination today to understand what it is to be a living church, not a dead one. Help us, Father, to be certain that the things that are important are always put first. And things that don't matter, while they may temporarily be helpful, help us not to major in the unimportant things. And Lord, if we're found lacking, please help us to realize that immediately and to repent of it. Help me, Lord, to communicate in the way you would intend for me to the truths that we find here in this text and help me to say it in a way that people can understand and find useful And then also bless those who hear it that they'll take it and be honest with it and let the word do its work in them. And then whatever's discovered, I pray that we'll act appropriately. Thank you for the time that we have to be able to experience all that and pray we'll have good results from it. In Jesus name. Amen. it worked. Okay, so this, this text is challenging. And when I first read it, I realized that, you know what? There's God's standard of doing things. And then there's man's standard of doing things. Sometimes, sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they mess up. But l- let's not ever fall prey to the thinking that since I believe I've looked at every angle that I understand it as well as it can be understood that whatever decision I make based on that is the right one. Because actually, I can't know everything about every condition, situation that comes into my life, every decision that I make. As he said with Sardis, every decision is not gonna be perfect. I may be wrong about something, When we get arrogant enough to think that what we decide, even if it's a majority of us who come to that conclusion, when we get arrogant enough to think that we know what's best, we have really faltered and we have strayed from our protection that God provides. If you don't don't think that's true, think about God's assessment of the situation. It's from Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here in Sardis, Jesus addresses a group of people who according to the text, and note this, they had a name that they were alive. That means they had the reputation. When people talked about that church over there in Sardis, they said, those people, they are alive. So much for man's assessment. Because Jesus says, even though you have that name about you, you actually are dead. Don't you think it would be important for us to know, for our own good as a church, what exactly it is to be living in the eyes of the Lord? What it is exactly that he considers to be a church who is alive. Listen, I told you I'm hopeful and I try to be so positive about things. I had a friend one time who was frustrated with me because he saw something negative that was happening and I put a positive spin on it. He said, you are such a nerd. You know, you, you you know, you can't be you can't be positive about everything. Sometimes you just you know you have to be frank with how things are and it's just not my tendency to get that upset, but you hear the Lord, He's pretty serious about this matter. And so I wanna I wanna think about the church here in Boonville as living. In fact, for the, you know, for the title of, of this sermon, I said that we are a living family of God. There are a couple of reasons that I have that very positive outlook about it. One reason is, well, it's because I, I absolutely think it's true. Case in point, our event yesterday. I think that is a great indicator of a church that's alive. So, from my perspective, I want to believe that it's true. I think it's true. But the second second part of that is that I know the consequence of not being a living church. And, And I don't want that to be us. So I'm motivated by what I see and I'm motivated by what I hope. Is true what all of us should do together is just ask that simple question and I believe we'll find it right here in the text what what exactly is a living church and so first I want to look at the the standard of living are you having to do this next slide please so standard of living what what is it exactly that defines living I'm gonna give you two standards one is man's standard that is flawed and the other standard of course is God's standard is that okay that's about as simple as I know how to put it and that's really the contrast that we're seeing here isn't it you have a name that you're alive but you're dead the name was given by other people in their observation so you have this reputation Man standard, what what would that look like? You know, most of the time when I meet someone, they ask where I preach. I'll tell them Boonville Church of Christ. Usually, there's a question that always comes out. Usually the very first question. How many members? A lot of times we judge how alive a church is on the basis of its numbers i've heard it described all kinds of ways well you know we we're, we're not Ken, we're not necessarily worried about the number itself it's just that numbers represent souls and so the more numbers that we have more souls we have okay i get that but let's let's try not to get too wrapped up in numbers okay let's just be wrapped up in the idea of saving souls because i will tell you that from god's perspective numbers <laughs> Numbers don't mean that much to God. Uh, For instance, I've been studying through the book of Judges lately. In Judges chapter 7 and verse 4, you have Gideon who is putting together an army to go against the Midianites. He begins with 32,000 people ready to fight, skilled warriors, except that 22,000 of them are afraid, and so they are sent home. But he's left with 10,000, and that's still a large contingent, especially if they're very skilled militarily. And so most likely they will have a great success. But God says in our text, the people are too many. You probably know the story of the test of drinking from the stream, and ultimately Gideon is left with 300 God intimates that there's a reason here. You know, with the 32,000 or even the 10,000, if you win this battle, and I know it's against a Midianite army that we can't even number, they're so large. But people will begin to rationalize And they will say that the war was won because of the skill and the tactical advantage of our military leaders against the Midianites because of their numbers. There will be no question in the mind of God if 300 will go forth and win this battle. Then the glory will belong to the Lord. God thought 300 enough. 300 is enough to defeat a foe that is without number. I know that even 12 or add 1 for good measure in the case of the apostle Paul was enough for God to send out into the world in order to effectively see to the preaching of the gospel to every creature. Colossians chapter 1 verse 23. So I'm pretty sure that as far as numbers are concerned, God's God's not really challenged. What He wants to see is whatever number exists that they do their job. Men, though, men are like, the bigger the church, the better. Not God's standard. The second question that might come up, in fact, we typically post these figures on a board so that we can all see it, is the money you know our our contribution is that a proper standard you know you ask how many members you got what's contribution like you know why why are we asking that question i guess it's because we also kind of have the mindset even if we don't have great numbers what is the proportion? You know, what, what are these members giving in relation? Sometimes we will even say, and, and with good intention, that the contribution is a reflection of our love. That may or may not be true. But how much money do we give? Is, is money a good standard? I know for men, typically, typically it is one of them. But you remember what James said, James chapter 2, verse 4 or 5. James said that it's not the rich, but the poor that are highly favored by God. In fact, he says that they are to be heirs of the kingdom. It's the poor that God has chosen. So again, I'm, I'm not so sure that money figures are actually the answer as... A standard of being alive or not. What about a what about a fancy, nice, new church building? I've been in circles with with preachers even who are like, you know, we've been in that building of ours for so and so. It's not on the main highway and. You know, if we had a new building out there where all the traffic is, then I am absolutely sure. And by the way, you know, we're gonna we're gonna spend several million dollars on this building. So we want to have high-tech equipment. If we get that, then they will come. One time I was hired by a church that had that mentality. We build a new building with all the fancy equipment. And we get that preacher right there, woo, we go sail. Is that the right standard? You know, Acts chapter 17, verse 24, reminds us that the Lord doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. It It isn't our numbers, it isn't how much money we have, it isn't our facilities. Those kinds of things, well, honestly, are carnal. They're they're materialistic. They're physical-minded. God doesn't think that way. When God is looking to establish a standard, that standard's going to be a spiritual-type standard for our living. One thing that comes to mind is our purity. Now, I don't know how many people have come up and asked me, Ken, that church where he preached, is it a pure church filled with a lot of pure people? (laughs) Has anybody ever asked you that question? If they have, I'm really wondering how that conversation unfolded. Typically, we don't ask things like that. The purity level of our congregation, and yet, the Lord puts that as an important item. In fact, in First Thessalonians chapter four beginning at verse three, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Question Do we live in a sex charged, sex crazed society? The answer is yes, we do. Does that affect the church? It can't help but affect the church. We ought to be asking ourselves, how deep is that into us? Are we remaining pure in the midst of this society filled with so much sexuality? Or when we talk about the church and its separateness from the world, those are the kinds of terms... That are used about it. In Ephesians chapter 5, at at verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. Question How's that church? Uh, One of our answers ought to be not how many. Not how much, not about the building, but about its purity. You know, it's a pure group of people. Holy, set apart, different. You know, of course, like we talked about yesterday in our Super Saturday, faithfulness. Faithfulness is a big deal in the church. In fact, a lot of times through the descriptions of things that churches needed to do here in the book of Revelation. Uh, a case in point is Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be faithful until death, and you'll receive the crown of life. Be faithful until you die for the cause, is the idea. Don't ever give up. Don't ever, ever stop. Be faithful all the way to the very end. Faithfulness is a major attribute of what it is to be a living, church. But are we that? You know, there are a lot of false doctrines out there today. I I mean, you you can't even, we have a denominational doctrines class that's going on right now, answers to questions. I I don't know how you could cover every question. I mean, there's so many crazy doctrines out there. And now with the advent of the internet There's all kinds of theories about things that are getting out there. I have people ask me questions that I never even contemplated was a question. How in the world did anybody even come up with this idea? But there's so many out there, crazy things. That was happening from the very beginning. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and following, Paul says, I marvel, I'm amazed that you're turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But whether we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so now I say again, if any man preach any other gospel than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Under the curse of God for what? For teaching something other than... What's revealed in the scriptures to God. That's a big deal, our faithfulness. How is your church? Is it pure? Is it faithful? How about this? Is it fruitful? You know, we can have all those other things in place, but if there isn't something growing out of us, if there isn't some result that comes, then you know what what good is that? We've been planted here in order to produce or bear fruit. And we don't give up on that idea either. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the, in the Lord. Don't stop. Or also Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and following. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Doesn't it, doesn't it sound like God has a lot of things that he measures us by in terms of us being alive, that are things once we begin, we're not supposed to stop. We're, we're to stay working in that remaining pure, remaining faithful, continuing to produce fruit. Not perfect. He even identified that in our text. You're not perfect in it, but there are some things you could be doing. And then our our next sal- slide, please. You know that not only is there a standard of living, there's also the mission of living. The mission. What What is it that... We do. Let's just kind of capitalize on that idea of the fruitfulness of it for a minute. What, as a church, if we are really living, if we are really alive, what is it we're doing? Now, please understand it's not like we're going to go through the process. One day, we'll kind of get it all together. The Lord will do an audit of us and we'll be successful. Just make sure that we meet the deadline. Whoa. Now he knows now. In fact, here in this text, the Lord said, I know your works. There hasn't been a church yet that the Lord didn't know what they were doing. The Lord knows our works. Well, then, it, it would behoove us to then do a little examination, right? now we're saying the mission of a living church right what what what's what's the mission aspect of a church that is living look i'm on the mission team for this church so i feel kind of a heavy weight right here in this section the mission team and just a couple of weeks ago we challenged this church help us with our mission to reach the world, to evangelize, to carry the world, carry the the gospel to the world. And you responded, wow, we had over $27,000 contributed. Maybe more has come in since then. I'm just blown away. The question is, what are we going to do with that? What exactly is our mission? What should we be spending this money on? Is it some of the carnal things we talked about before? Some of the man... Based human-based projects? I don't think so. When I think of the mission of a living church, I think basically about three different things. One is evangelism. Right? That was the thing that Jesus was all about. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know that. But He took that love of souls and then He commissioned His apostles with it. So as He's ascending to the Father in Matthew 28, verse 18, beginning, He says, All authority has been given to Me on, in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, period, amen, period always like that last amen. So be it. This is the way. Do it. Preach the gospel. And then when you do it, you teach those that you taught to do the same thing. And by that means the whole world is going to be saved. Yes! Evangelize. Share the gospel. Preach the truth. Not just in that generation, you could have said they must have been satisfied if, it's, if Colossians one twenty three isn't just hyperbole. If he really meant that the gospel was preached, must have been satisfied in that generation. They were not satisfied because there are people being born all the time. So that means that there are new souls to be evangelized. In Second Timothy chapter two and verse two, Paul tells Timothy, the young preacher who's kind of following in his footsteps. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Other faithful people. Continue that line of faithfulness all the way to, well, to here, to today. Be sure that the Gospel is propagated through every single generation of time. On and on and on. And then make provisions for the one beyond you. Evangelism is an important mission of the church, and so is edification. To edify something is to, to build it up, to encourage it. In Ephesians chapter 4 11 and 12, he himself gave some of the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, what we have, we want to do our very best to, to maintain. We don't see to it that we keep people encouraged and keep them faithful and keep them in the Word, keep them instructed. We forget things. We want to be reminded of what's important. We want to stay alive. And benevolence. I love the depiction of the way the church was operating as is described in Acts 4, beginning at verse 32. It says now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Barnabas joseph who was also named barnabas by the apostles which is translated son of encouragement a levite of the country of cyprus having land sold it brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet just a a great example of someone among many other someones who were willing to give up what they had in order to help others in particular the church but we help those who are in need especially those who are the household of faith we we want to see people cared for now Is any one of them in particular the mission of the church? No. no. Those three work together as the mission. Ken, are you leaving something out? I don't know. Probably. You know, peace on that. I'm I'm not saying I'm giving you the whole catalog of um, mission-minded things that the church ought to do, but these are some pretty big ones. Some things that we ought to be identified by. Some things that ought to be so apparent about us people who evangelize, people who edify and build one another up, a people who care for those who are in need and see to that need. I don't think there are any of them independent of the others. I think all of them work work together. And, you know, that's something I'm encouraged about here. At least those areas do work together, right? I and mean, we, to, we ought to feel blessed by that. And then our, our next slide it's the result of living. So, okay, I'm going to be a living church. We, we say, you know, Kim, we're doing pretty good. We got, got the standard right. We're letting God's standard be the standard. We got the mission right. Oh, we want to you know, take the things that God puts as important. Well, that's what we're going to run with. So, you know, what's the, what's the result here? How, how, does this all, how does this all turn out? I want to first say that God, along the way, is is cheering us on. And He is reminding us of the things that are necessary for a reason. Because if He doesn't remind us, we're going to stumble and make a mistake, as was happening here in Sardis. Along the way, the Lord is trying to keep our priorities straight. Matthew chapter 6, 19 and following. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where th- thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're not going to be carnally minded in regard to the function and, and the work of the church. We're going to be spiritually minded. There are physical things we have to be minded of, sure. But what we major in are spiritually minded things. So we're going to keep focused on on what's really important here. Spiritual, keep our mind focused on heaven. Colossians chapter 3. Okay, so as I'm going along there, the Lord warned Sardis as I think he warns us. You'd better watch. Because if you are not watching, if if you're not aware, if you're not serious about keeping track of how you're doing. If you're not watching, then he says, I am coming as a thief and you will not know the hour that I come. Verse 3. When I read that, did did that ring bells with you like it rings with me? Because as soon as I read that, I thought, well, that's just a short form of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right? Right? But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you're not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, therefore let us not... Um, sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. We're watchful. We're, okay. So we, we have programs going. We have spiritual mindedness going, but we don't quit, quit overseeing that. We don't take our, our mind off it. Of, we don't pull our foot off the pedal. We keep going as hard as we can go, mindful every moment that the Lord is watchful and he could call us into question at any time. And when he does, talk about results, okay? What would be the result? Well, that's verse 5. Now, sometimes I ask people, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news first? People will say, I want to hear the good news. I want to end on a happy note. So let's hear the bad news first, okay? If the Lord were to just kind of spot check us, and find out that we are dead and not alive, here's what he's going to do. He's going to blot our name. Let's make that personal. He's going to blot my name. going to blot your name out of the book of life. Let me tell you why that particular idea is so sad. It's sad not because your name isn't in the book, because there are a lot of people, you know, whose names are not in the book. They never turn to the Lord. That is not what he's describing here. He said, I'm going to blot your name out of it. In other words, your name was in that book. Your name was in that book. And if you had stopped before you ever became dead, If you had stopped while you were still alive, then you'd get the two things I'm going to talk about here in a moment. But no, I stopped and I looked at you and you were dead. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to blot your name out of the book of life. To blot the name out is to take what was a perfectly good entry and take some ink or something and to permanently remove it by just marking through it. You've done that before. I'd much rather take some white out and do that and then write over something. (laughs) This is a nasty, ugly stain right here. Why? Because he checked on you, you were dead. You were doing so great, took you right out of there. Okay, that's the bad news. What's the good news? The good news is if he was to stop and look and see us alive... I mean, we are a living family of God. If the Lord looks at us individually, he says, Man, those people are alive. They're living. Then I'm going to make it possible for them to overcome. You know, the idea of us making it all the way to the end. The Lord says, I'm going to supercharge you. I'm going to cause you to overcome And I'm going to give you these white robes. Isn't that enticing? Just wrapped up with white garments. That's got to be good. And then not only that, when you show up, you say, hey, we got these white robes. We overcame. We are going to heaven. It is like the reservation was so well marked. And why? It is because of this that the Lord promises to confess our name before the Father and the angels. He's mine, she's mine, they're alive. Well, there's a big difference, you gather, between man's standard and God's standard. Here's an incidental that Paul wrote to a church That I take it was struggling. So he gave them some instructions to kind of help them, to to pump them up, to edify them, build them up, help them get back on track. At Romans chapter 12, at verse 2, he said, Don't forget this. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, be the example of what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we need to change, the time to change is now. Before the Lord looks and does not have a favorable impression. Hey, you know me. I'm so hopeful. Here's what I believe. I believe we are a living family of God. I believe it. But when you think of the big picture and you look at yourself... Are you saying, yes, Ken, yes, alive, doing good? Are you saying, I'm struggling or I'm faltering? It, there is no shame in admitting that that is true. The shame will come when someday that book is open and where your name is is only an ink block. We can rectify that situation today if we need to in your response. Maybe, maybe you're a child of God. You need to act today. Let me encourage you without fear to step out there in that line and come down to one of the elders waiting here to encourage and build you up with the rest of this family. If you're not a child of God today, today's your day. Today is the day to obey the gospel. So if you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God Please turn away from your sin. Confess it, repenting of it. Be buried in water. Have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. And rise up in newness of life. We will all celebrate in that. If there's anybody who needs to respond, please come now while we stand together and sing for your encouragement.
4: yet received the emblems of the Lord's Supper, if you'll please raise your hand as the ushers walk down the aisle, and they'll be happy to accommodate you with those. come to a portion of our worship where every first day of the week, we focus our attention on what the Lord did for us some 2,000 years ago. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of memory. It's a time of great hope for us all. We turn to one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 53, and I I won't refer to the entire chapter, but particularly in verse five, and we might change the pronouns there to personal pronouns. And there the Bible says about the sacrifice of our Lord. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by his stripes are we healed. You see, it was because of our sins, your sins and my sins that Jesus came to this earth and he went to the cross to die for our sins. And now we're going to focus our attention as we're commanded to in scripture to focus on the body of our Lord, the bread that represents our Lord's body that was given so graciously so long ago. Will you please bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful at this time for the bread that represents your precious body that was given so long ago on Calvary so that we might be saved. May we at this time partake of this in a very worthy manner. In Christ's name, amen. as we partake of this fruit of the vine, the juice of the grape, our minds need to go back to the blood of Jesus that flowed from Calvary. We sing that beautiful song, there's power in the blood. The Bible says in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So let's focus our attention now as we partake of the fruit of the vine on the blood that continually washes us and makes us clean. Will you bow with me? Our heavenly father, we're so thankful for the death of your son, for his blood that was shed on Calvary and for the cleansing that it provides for each of us, a cleansing that is undeserved by us, but we're so thankful for the generous gift of your son that provided that cleansing. May we now partake of this uh, fruit of the vine in a manner that would be pleasing to you in Christ's name. Amen. We now come to a portion of our worship and it is worship. It is our giving to God. I don't think we think about our giving as much as we really ought to sometimes. Have you ever thought about the fact that God is not as concerned about the amount that we give? as what that amount represents. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about here. Are two individuals each give $50 to the Lord. Every Lord's day. It appears to be the same amount, but what that amount represents is completely different. You see the man over here that gives $50, he makes $1,000 a week. And he gives $50 on the Lord's day. This man over here who also gives $50, he only makes $450 a week. You see, God's not concerned so much as to the amount that we give. It's what that amount represents to us. I think about a man who woke up with some very troubling thoughts. And he told his wife about the dream that he had. He said, I dreamed that God took our weekly contribution, multiplied that by 10, and it became our weekly income. We just couldn't survive on that, could we? Let me ask you today, if God took the amount that you give to him on the first day of the week, would you be better off or would you be imminently worse off if he multiplied that amount by 10? So let's think about our giving. Let's think about what it represents in our hearts today. And there are ways provided on the screen that that you can give of your means. And let's always remember that when we give of our money, we give of ourselves, our time, our sweat. And we're giving this to God Almighty. Let's bow, will you please? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you so richly blessed us in this country. Blessings that we simply do not deserve. And Father, help us as we give today that... We'll understand that this is a small way that we can demonstrate a proof of our love for you. And may we do this, Father, with a generous spirit, and may we do it without a grudging heart. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
5: I would be remiss if I did not personally uh, say um, to give all praise and honor to God for his blessings upon yesterday, and to a personal thanks to all those who were part of our Super Saturday. We did, we were blessed. Uh, There were 92 uh, young souls in classes and 92 adults who were uh, here either teaching or helping teach or being a part of what was going on in some part of the day, and uh, that truly is a blessing and I appreciate that, and I am very glad that the, uh, uh, those who were, were roaming about taking pictures, and there were a lot of those, uh, those who were taking pictures were not here. Uh, all everybody had, most everybody had left. The building had been cleaned and locked, and I would move across to uh, unplug the two uh, um, inflatables that the kids enjoyed yesterday afternoon, and the shade was there, I just couldn't help it. I had to get on the bounce house. So I crawled up in it and it was shaded and it was so peaceful. And I just listened to the quiet of what had been such a busy day And 20 minutes later, I realized, hey, I'm asleep. Uh, so I'm really glad that nobody was there to take my picture to all glory be to God. Thank you very, very much.
2: Good morning. There was 322 people here with uh, uh, worshiping the Lord together today. Uh, I want to read the card because the last time I forgot to. So we have a card here from Randy Stutz. Uh, Church family, thank you for the calls, visits, texts, and food during my recovery from knee surgery. It is so great to be part of a concerned church family. And that's signed, Randy Stutz. We're also glad that he's here and also uh, Nata Bullock is able to be with us today. Um, due to unforeseen circumstances, the Vales Christian uh, Vales Children's Home uh, cookout is being postponed to July the 12th. That's on a Tuesday. Uh, also this Tuesday, the Golden Circle will be meeting in the Annex. Uh, adults classrooms, this is it for this Wednesday night. Uh, we'll be meeting in the, uh, this auditorium here, uh, Roger Comstock will be with us to give his update on the Guyana mission. Uh, we have the Freed Hardeman Associates uh, annual SATA luncheon scheduled for next Friday. Uh, so tickets uh, can be bought, purchased from any of the associates, uh, dining in or carry out. Uh, we have the visitation team members. You have your assignments on the, uh, at the visitors table. Uh, that'll be in the center of the foyer today. Um, also, we've got uh, the landmark uh, uh, devotional today at four o'clock. And in anticipation of the marriage of Clark Martin and Brittany Mitchell, the table is uh, still set up uh, set up for uh, two shower gifts. Uh, they they will be wed, Lord willing, on June 18th. Uh, and then, uh, ladies, if you are signed up for the, or, or if you're interested in going to the Transform uh, Ladies Retreat, this will be in October 13th through the 16th in Pigeon Forge, Forge, uh, you are invited to join in the Little Chapel directly after services. That is all the announcements I have. If you will uh, pray with me, we'll, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another powerful Sunday that you have given us that we can look to your word in revelation and not be confused that you always win. Whatever difficulties that we have or are experiencing or where we are doubting ourselves, We don't have to doubt you because we know your promises are true. Father, help us to be strong and courageous. Like some of the characters that that have gone on before us in the Bible, where they were able to stand up and say, Here am I, send me. Help us be strong to stand up to giants and defeat them because we know you are behind us. But Father, we also know great characters that needed a little bit more encouragement. And Father, as we all need encouragement, we look to your word and we lean on each other here in this congregation in anticipation that we don't have to doubt, but we can know that your promises are sure And when we are found faithful, you will reward us that home in heaven. Go with us throughout the future walks of this day and bring us back once again. This is our prayer in your son's name. Amen.